Have you remember those songs on the radio? Amy Grant had a beautiful one. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Oh, it's a beautiful song. This is I Am Almighty God, El Shaddai. El means almighty. Shaddai means from the breast or from the heart or no, to pour out blessing. And shad is means from the chest or from the breast, from the heart. He says, I am El Shaddai. He's full of strength. God's declaring his omnipotence here. His all-powerful being that he is because he's almighty. You know what? My grandparents that were from Italy used that all the time, but not in a good way. And when I'm feeling bad, it's always God Almighty in a vain way, taking the Lord's name in vain. But don't you ever do that. The Lord Almighty. Sometimes I go to the Lord. You're Almighty God. You can take care of this. We have a situation right now where I prayed that. I poured oil all over the, the property, around the church, building, around the property, and around the van out there in prayer because we have some needs coming up. Big needs. Um, nothing that's too good for Almighty God, I can tell you that. As a matter of fact, I said last week, you're going to see an amazing miracle come, come around. You mark my words. Because I just feel it. Walk before me, he says. In other words, walking before him is having fellowship with him. And to be blameless. You're to be blameless. Blameless literally means to be whole, wholly blameless before the Lord. God desires holiness. Walk before me and be blameless. He desires holiness in the lives of his people. But you look around at the churches today, most of them, not all of them, but the churches aren't so blameless. They condone sin, sexual immorality. Uh, sodomy, drunkenness, they condone it. We have the church of the rainbow. We have the church of the, the adulterators pretty soon. No, you have to be blameless. That who is who God is. He's telling Abraham, you walk before me with fellowship and you be blameless. Because God desires holiness for his people. But in the Christian church today, the divorce rate is, uh, the way I heard it, slightly higher than the world's rate of divorce. Because they don't get it. They think they entered into a contract when they got married. They didn't get her into a contract. They entered into a covenant. And covenants are issued by blood. And Jesus initialed it, you know, and marriage with his blood. And that's why the two who are two become one. That's a miracle from God. He desires holiness in the lives of his people. But a lot of us aren't so holy, are we? It's time to clean up our act, including me and you and the other churches out there. If we have fellowship with him and are blameless, then our lives will be holy. He claims, in, the, in the, I think it's Peter, 
be holy for I am holy. That's, a des- that's his desire for his people, for us to be holy because he's holy. God reestablishes his covenant in verse 2 with Abraham. Abram, sorry. Abram's response when, he, when the Lord began to speak to him. Listen to this. And Abraham's response is, his, you know, he fell on his face in submission and adoration and repentance and humility. All these are all fruits of a real relationship with the Lord, a real walking with him and before him blamelessly, submission, adoration, repentance, and humility. You shall be a father of many nations in verse 4. Listen, it's been fulfilled. He's the father of the Arabs through Ishmael, and he is also the father of the Jews through, through Isaac. It is done. It has been fulfilled. He's the father of many, many nations, and even the Christian nation, by the way. It's not just the bloodline of Abraham. It is the faith line of Abraham. You know that the scriptures are very clear in Galatians 3, 6, Genesis 15, 6. Let me read it for you. Genesis 15, 6. Okay. As for you, you shall... Go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old old age. I'm sorry, I'm I'm reading the wrong verse. (laughs) Um, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. I was reading verse 15. Um, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. What saved Abraham? Faith. His faith in believing God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We're told that in Genesis 15, 6. We're told that in Galatians 3, 6. We're told that in Romans 4, 3. And Romans 4, 17. We're told that in James 2, 23. We're told that in Romans 4, 20 through 24. Listen, when God's saying something this many times, and I passed up a few, he means it. He means it. He's driving home a point. I want to read to you Romans chapter uh, 4, verses 20 through 24. This is the New American Standard. No, I'm sorry. This is the New King James Version here. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. He did not waver, referring to Abraham, he, Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Listen, it's just what it says there. It was accounted to him for righteousness, and same with you. It's for us too. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. It's accounted to us. We have to have faith. 
And it will be accounted to us as righteousness, just like Abraham. And that makes us a, the, of the faith line of Abraham, not just the bloodline. The bloodline does not save you. It's the faith of Abraham that saves you and me. So don't think because you're uh, Arab or a Jew that, that you're saved. You're only saved if you believe in the Messiah of Israel, who a lot of Jews and a lot of Arabs have missed. God changes Abraham's name from Abraham, Abram, which means high father, to Abram, which means father of many nations. He's both, as I just said, he's both the father of the physical nation, the blood nation, the bloodline, and he's also the, the spiritual forefather of that nation, which is the, the believing Gentiles or Jews, should they come to know Jesus. Okay. Our names, just like Abraham, <coughs> his name is, is changed. Well, our names are going to be changed someday. Do you know that? Listen to this. Revelation. And did you notice, too, though, that Abraham's name reflected what, what he was about or what God was about to do or... or or uh, just a reflection on his name was changed to reflect his character even, and even his bloodline, okay? Okay, so here's Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, speaking of the church of Pergamum. To him, this is the Lord Jesus talking to Pergamum, the church of Pergamum. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. And on that stone, a new name written, which no man knows except him who receives it. The white stone means approval. God approves of you. Okay? And it indicates a new relationship. A name we would understand and appreciate when God takes us to heaven. And it's a, a pledge of approval. We know that God changed Saul's name to Paul. We know that he changed Simon's name to Peter. You know, and we know that he changed Jacob's name, which is supplanter or deceiver, to governed by God. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means governed from God. You know what happened to these guys? They were what you would call being born again in the Old Testament. Their, their name reflected their character. They changed. Okay? The covenant, I will, I will establish an everlasting covenant. The covenant is everlasting and eternal. Listen, supernaturally, it's not based on man's ability. It's not based on man's ability. Let's see. Okay, that's not it. Oh, it's in this book. This is the Evidence Bible. You know what? Man only thinks in their generation. But God moves throughout the generations. He moves throughout the millenniums. Okay? Here's what... And what um, Napoleon said. This is the Evidence Bible. It's actually a Bible. It has uh, 
a New Testament Bible that actually has a whole bunch of other great things in it that you can use. Napoleon said this, I marvel that where the ambitious dreams of myself, Napoleon, and Alexander the Great, and of Caesar should have vanished into air, but a Jewish Judean peasant, Jesus, should be able to stretch his hands across the centuries and control the destiny of men and nations. Whoa. Whoa. Do you see who God is now? This, the, God is saying to Abraham, this covenant is for you, but it's for all the generations that follow. Right now it's been thousands and thousands of years since Abraham walked the earth. Now, so the covenant that Abraham is given by God extends beyond Abraham's lifetime. And it says here, too, that he was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Even though God had given Abraham the promised land, the land of Canaan, listen, did you know that during Abraham's life, he never possessed any of the land in Canaan? He just believed the promise. The only possession he had in the land of Canaan was the cave of Machpelah, which he bought off of the, the people there, and I forget the guy's name. He bought the, the, it off of, off of this guy as a tomb for his wife, Sarah, who had passed away. So the only possession Abraham had in the promised land during his lifetime was the cave of Machpelah, where, his, where he buried Sarah. And we also know that Abraham was born there because you can find that in Genesis chapter 49 or 50. Abraham was built to buried there with Sarah. Isaac is buried there with Rebekah. Jacob is buried there with, guess what? Not, not, um, not, uh, what's her name? Um, I get them confused sometimes. He's buried there with um, the, the, uh, older woman, the older wife, what's the name? Leah. He's buried there with Leah. Not the one that he loved. Because you know what? Jacob wanted Rachel. Was it Rachel? Okay. But God wanted him to have Leah. And Leah is buried in that tomb in Machpelah. Also, Joseph's tomb, or Joseph's bones were brought back to the promised land, and he is, he is buried in that same tomb. That's the only thing that Abraham had in the promised land, which wasn't a good thing. It was a, it was a cave. It was a tomb. But Abraham, he believed God, and he knew that the land of Canaan would be his, his people's someday's possession. God's reestablishing his his uh, his his covenant with Abraham in these verses, chapter verses, uh, chapter seventeen, verses nine through fourteen. God gives Moses a sign of the covenant, a badge that was to be an outward sign of an inward change. Let's see. We're going to read. Uh, we're going to read verse nine. Verse 9 through 14. So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old 
I'm in some fi 17. I'm in 15, sorry. 17, verse 9 through 14. 17, verses 9 through 14. God said further to Abraham, Now as you, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. For every male child among you must be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and you. And every male among you who has a, has is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. That means onward and onward, even till today. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with money from a foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is brought, bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So circumcision is a, an outward sign that you should have an inward change, that you are a believer in Jehovah or Elohim, Almighty God, El Shaddai. It was a sign of the covenant. It was cutting away of the flesh. As I mentioned, uh, cutting away of the flesh in the Old Testament, it was a carnal thing. It's to be an outward sign to the heathen nations that we serve El Shaddai. We serve Elohim, the God of all gods. Even in Colossians, we're told, in him, that is Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body and the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's what I was talking about. Now, in the New Testament, you know, women can't be circumcised, cutting away the flesh, but they can be cut, the flesh can be cut away from their heart because they're carnal just like a man is. So you cut away the flesh from the heart, and you become a circumcised believer because your heart is circumcised. The flesh is cut away. Romans 4.11 says, And he, meaning Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had. Listen, it's a sign. So therefore, by judging by what I see, Arabs and Jews and Christians are probably all circumcised because of this promise. And also women and men, because the, the circumcision made without hands, which is in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. The old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And guess what? The flesh has been cut away from your heart. You become a new creature. And that's the creature that God looks at. It will come at personal cost. Listen, if you're circumcised, it's going to cost you something. Back in the Old Testament, it cost them some pain to the men. In the New Testament, you're born again. Your old things are gone. 
You're a different person. You're no longer the same person you were before. You were crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. It's going to cause you pain because you are no longer that guy before you've received the revelation knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you repented of your sins. You're a new creature now. And it's a continual reminder to this day. That's what circumcision is supposed to be. It's a continual reminder to this day that you are children of God by faith. It's accounted to you as righteousness, just like Abraham. And it could not be undone. Circumcision cannot be undone. Which provides a a bigger theology point, which I'm not going to get into. The covenant of circumcision in Abraham's family had to be all the men in his ranks, all the servants that were born in his house, and any servant that he bought, like Hagar, say, out of Egypt, all the men of the Egyptian that were came out of Egypt with, with Abraham had to be circumcised because they were part of his house. If it, if it weren't, it says right here that he would be cut off from the people he has broken God's covenant. And this was to be done on the eighth day. Why was circumcision done on the eighth day? Well, scientists and doctors know today that on the eighth day, remember, medical medical conditions weren't what they are today back then. On the eighth day, vitamin K is at its strongest point in a male's body. So God ordered that, the, that he, they be circumcised on the eighth day, which means vitamin K was at its highest level. And vitamin K, what is it? It's a blood coagulant, which means that they aren't going to bleed as much on that day when you cut away the flesh. Isn't, you know what, you give mankind enough time and he'll eventually catch up with God. He'll eventually do it. It might take him a while. It took him about just about 200 years ago when they realized the life was in the blood. Okay? Well, it was Abel's blood that cried out from the ground to God whenever Cain killed him. Come on, the, the life is in the blood. You know what? The life was in the blood because when Jesus died, okay, and the blood ran down that cross onto the ground. The very earth mourned and quaked. And thunder and lightning flashing all over the place. And darkness fell because the blood of the Son of Almighty God was, was being swallowed up by the very ground. Life is in the blood. Why don't mankind just believe the Bible? I don't get it. For New Testament believers, circumcision is not physically enforced. Christian circumcision is a work of the Spirit in your heart, really. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance anymore. He looks at the heart. Didn't didn't Samuel tell that to, uh, God told that to Samuel, and Samuel was looking at the heart, tried to look at the heart, and he got confused just like us. 
God don't care if you're beautiful or ugly. He don't care if you're black, white, green, purple, red. He don't care if you're short or tall. He don't care if you have bad eyesight or gray hair or black hair. He don't care if you have one leg or three or two legs. He doesn't care if you can't see or you don't or you do see. He don't care. All he cares about is you. He loves you because he doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at your heart and what your heart is saying. So your heart speaks louder than your spiritual, than, than your, your, your flesh in God's kingdom. Even the Jerusalem council decided that, that, that the Gentiles being saved did not have to be circumcised. But I'm sure as the generations went on and on, they began to circumcise their children. And that's why most uh, European and Asian men are circumcised, I believe, today. God changes Sarah's name from Sarai, my princess, to Sarah, princess of a multitude. See, I had some important stuff I wanted to read to you. I don't know if I'm going to get to it. Um, I didn't mark them in my Bible. I wish I did. Okay, we'll skip that one because I got a lot of work here, words here to go. Anyhow, a lot of places to go yet. But she will be the mother of many nations. And it's, this is the first time a woman, Sarah, is included in a covenant. That's a new twist. Women weren't so important back in those days, as you well know. God promises Sarah that she's going to have a son. She's 90 years old. And it will be fulfilled. And we know that it was fulfilled in, in Genesis 21. She shall be the mother of nations and kings and people. As I said, specifically the king of all kings. God wants the exclusive right to glory. Actually, Psalm or Isaiah 42.8 and Psalm Isaiah 48.11 say this. This is God. He's saying, I will not give my glory to another. In other words, he wanted Abraham and Sarah to be 90 years old or 100 years old, so that they can know that God did this. Because you and I know that a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old and a man cannot have a child. But with God, all things are possible. So therefore, it brings the glory to Almighty God and not Abraham or Sarah. And Sarah, verse 17 of chapter 17, she laughs. No, no, Abraham, he laughs for joy. But Sarah, she laughs, indignant laugh in Genesis chapter 18, which is next chapter. God wants it this way. He wants the exclusive right to the glory. When we think of Abraham, we think of Isaac, his only son, that was born to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, which is virtually impossible. God wants you to know that the covenant passes on to any believer 
Even Abraham tried to talk God out of it. He said, oh, verse 18, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, he's saying to God, can't you just be satisfied with Isaac? I mean, with Ishmael. God's saying no. That's the work of the flesh. I want the work of the spirit. Abraham's sin was flesh. His flesh desired Hagar. Sarah desired Abraham to take Hagar. I think that's really pushing it there that a woman will want her husband to sleep with another woman. But they were distraught, and they were going to help God out. Please don't try to help God out. I know I've tried it many times and probably still do. But, we're, you know, we should just rest in him. Be still and know that he is God. But verses 19 through 22, God said, no, not Ishmael. God will not recognize Ishmael. He is a byproduct of the flesh. Even in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 4, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son. What? He has another son, Ishmael. Wait a minute. He see, Notice this. He recognized Isaac. God recognized Isaac as being his only son, but he did not recognize Ishmael, who was the firstborn son, through Hagar. You got the son of the flesh. You got the son of the spirit. Okay. Or the promise. Listen, aren't you glad born-again believer, that God doesn't see anymore what you did in the flesh. You could be the worst sinner that ever lived, and God don't see it because you are hidden in the shadow of the Almighty through the blood of Christ Jesus. Sarah, your wife, Will, be, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And Isaac, you know, means laughter. Abraham laughed at the idea, a hundred-year-old man, and Sarah laughed with indignation, and she lies right to a, the, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in chapter 18, which we'll see next chapter. And this reminds all of us today of God's miraculous intervention. And he will establish his covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. That means, since Abraham is the father of Israel, that means that Canaan is promised to the Israelites. But God does make a promise to Ishmael because he is Abraham's son. Number one, he, he, he promised to bless him, to make him fruitful, to make Ishmael multiply exceedingly. And he will make 12 princes come from Ishmael. And they're listed in Genesis chapter 25, verse 15. And I ain't got time to go into that. None of them names do I recognize, I can tell you that. He will be a great nation. Ishmael will be a great nation. God's grace is at work in the Arabs because he is the father of the Arabs. But they're not the heirs, uh, the, the heirs of the covenant or the land of Canaan. There's no doubt 
God's reaffirming this fact in verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. See, God's not going to establish his covenant with Ishmael, but with Isaac because he's the son of the, of the spirit, the son of the promise. And his circumcision was instituted in verse 23, that very day. That means this must have happened in the morning when God was talking to Abraham and Abraham fell on his face, okay? It must have happened in the morning because he doesn't procrastinate at all. Abraham doesn't procrastinate at all. He, that very day, Abraham takes his household, Ishmael, okay, and all that were born into his home, all that were brought by money into his home, every male was circumcised that day. Abraham's obedience to circumcision, listen, was three. It was complete, it was prompt, and it was daring. Abraham's, listen, complete, because it shows us that, according to James 1.18, that it, it's, it, he takes action. It's prompt because there's no wavering. Abraham just does it. And it's daring because this put the whole nation out of commission should an enemy attack. And they had plenty of enemies. But they were trusting God that he was going to protect them during the time that they were, were circumcised. So just as a review, and I'll end it here. Abraham is a, you know, review. This, these chapters are a three-act drama of God's grace. Number one, the promise, the covenant promise to Abraham and his descendants. It's a, it's a drama of failure because of Hagar, and it's a, it's a, it's a, a act and drama of restitution because by circumcision, everybody who believed was circumcised, and they were, like Abraham, saved by faith and faith alone. So that's a picture of Abraham. I know it took a little bit longer today, almost an hour. It was no worship. Well, we're done with this chapter. We're going to move on to chapter 18. But listen. What a beautiful, what a beautiful first book of the Bible God gave us. Just keep your nose in the Word of God, and you're going to be excited. And just don't speed read it. Read it with heart, and you're going to find beautiful things as the Holy Spirit shows you uh, these things in the Scriptures as you study. So in Jesus' name we pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would drive this all home to our heart. I hope we will understand that we, believers in Christ, have been sanctified and set apart and made righteous by the very blood of the Son of God. And circumcision is that reminder that you cut away the flesh from our hearts when we became a believer. And now we have a new name that's going to be given to us in the kingdom of heaven that is probably going to reflect who and what we were or are on, in, in the future in on this earth. Now, Lord, to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.